If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We've been in the midst of this series that we're calling Embracing the Turtle. And the idea behind the series is that God has called us to a certain life, to a way of living, that we are called to be the people that God has called us to be, and that in a world that is consistently looking for the next new thing, the next bright thing, the next important thing, the next shiny thing, that God calls us to a slow and steady reliance upon Him. That we are being countercultural when we build our lives on these habits that God intends for us to do. And uh, if you've been around for a few weeks, you're going to know this. If you are new, this is your first time, and this is going to be uh, the picture that we have for this series. And the comparison we've made each week is between two things. Now, don't put it up yet, Steve. I, I want to quiz them. Pop quiz this morning, church. All right, so the two images we've used to ask what kind of people we want to be are what? A pinata or iceberg, right? And so we've talked about being, are you want to be a pinata or an iceberg? Pinatas, most of you have not thought about a pinata in years. But the idea behind a pinata is it's bright, it's colorful, but it's not real sturdy and it's hollow. And even when it is filled, most of the time it's filled with sugary stuff that just gives you a temporary high and then you move on to something else. And that our culture is built around this constant pursuit of a pinata lifestyle that's hollow and not really substantive. And that we get it, it's sugary and good, but then it goes away real quickly and we're on to the next thing. And the alternative is, we want to be people who are like an iceberg. Which is absolutely beautiful on top, but also has depth and substance. In fact, it is much deeper than it is tall. That it's much more under the surface than you can ever see. But to do that takes time. Over the last three weeks, we've talked about specific practices that we want to build into our lives. as slow and steady practices. And we started with scripture memory and scripture meditation. We talked about memorizing a full chapter of scripture by Easter. And some of you I know are working on that. And some of you thought I was crazy when I suggested it. And you haven't looked at it another day. Alright? Understand that. But we challenged you to memorize scripture. To meditate on it as you memorize it. And then the next week we talked about prayer as being an exchange of our desires and our wants for what God desires and what God wants. And we challenged ourselves to be people that were praying on a daily basis using scripture as our guide to pray. And then last week we talked about the kryptonite of pride, the thing that knocks pride down, and that is service. And we looked at Jesus and his service to others. But here's what inevitably happens when you begin a life of trying to be habitually about the things that God has called you to be about. Is that somewhere along the way, it's going to break down for you. And it's going to get difficult. And you're going to develop fatigue or the temptation is going to be great. I thought about it this morning. So many of you know this, some of you don't. Um, But last Friday, two days ago, was my 41st birthday. 41 years old. I am now 40-something, right? Y'all think I'm old now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you're still a boy, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm moving that direction, right? 41st birthday, and 
as, as milestones happen in your life, you know, you just think about things. And, you know, there's this moment, like when you turn 40, everybody makes a big deal about it. And then, you know, 40 years old, joke around over the hill on Wednesday night here at church, Wednesday night meal. When I went down for my meal on my 40th birthday, there was a wheelchair sitting there with a cake and card in front of it. Like it's, you know, you have hit 40 now. But when you hit 41, everybody's like, eh. Like now you just, you're lost. You're a lost cause. And so when it's 40, you're like, there's this part of you that is like, I'm, I'm going to prove to myself I'm not really 40. Like I don't feel 40. I'm not 40. You know, like you're in denial for a while. When you hit 41, it's kind of hard to deny that you're at least 40. Like you've moved on. And so I thought this weekend, you know what I thought? I thought, man, you know what? This is the time. I got to get serious about some things. If I, you know, I'm 41. I got to be serious about some stuff. You know, I, I've been running around with my boys playing basketball. So I'm like, I got to be, I got to be better at, in shape in that and watch what I'm eating. And really, I'm going to commit my life now to the habits that make me physically, I'm talking about spiritual habits on Sunday morning. I'm going to be better about the physical habits that are going to help me get through life. And then this morning, as I came up on stage, I don't know if you saw, I left something in the balcony, had to go get it, came, rushed up on stage. As y'all are greeting each other, Jeff whispers something to me up here. He says that a member of this congregation, who remained nameless, Danny Castro, <laughs> has left for you in the back some hot posture casual. Now, those of you who don't know what pastication is, let me just give you the simple uh, English translation of it. It is the appetizer at the marriage supper of the lamb. All right. And so pastication is a Brazilian bread that as it cooks, forms this cheesy substance within the yeast of the bread. And it's not on the recommended list of things to eat to be real healthy about, as far as I can tell. And so Danny, I go back there, and Danny has left this for me. And it looks so innocent, doesn't it? I mean, it's just a little round mound of bread, but it is so good. I may just, uh, just give, me, give, me, give me like a minute or five or so. So it's good. And our life becomes like that. We, you know, we set out on a spiritual course. Man, we're going gonna to memorize scripture. I'm going to get this food out of my mouth. I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to pray every day. Man, I'm going to pray every day. Man, what the pastor's told me, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do it this week. I know I should be doing that. I'm going to be more generous with my time. I'm going to be more generous with my effort. And so you begin to do those things. And inevitably, pretty quickly... The world kind of says, <laughs> not so quick, not so fast. And then life gets in the way. Even if it's not that busy of a life, suddenly something happens or you forget one day. And you beat yourself up about it and so you get so upset you've missed one day, you missed two days. And you think, well, what do I do when I find myself, you know what I said, I was going to read the Bible through this year and we hit Leviticus 1 and whoo! You hit Leviticus, I haven't even made it to Exodus yet. Like, what do you do to persevere in the midst of that? Today, we're not going to talk about a new habit. We're going to spend the last three weeks of this series talking about three new habits. But this week, we're going to take a break from a habit and ask, how do you make it through when it seems like life is conspired against you? One of the things that we're going to use to talk about that is 
the fact that icebergs don't form on their own, right? You all know this? Icebergs come from glaciers. So iceberg is not formed on its own. An iceberg is formed from a glacier. Now, it, it is impossible for us to get the immensity of this glacier, but that's a mountain and that's just ice. And glaciers are formed over centuries of times. And an iceberg is just something that breaks off from the glacier in the midst of life. Now, we're going to get deep scientifically for just a second because I think it's important for us to understand why it's necessary for us to have these habits in our lives so that we can talk about sustaining them. And the idea is that an iceberg comes from a glacier and a glacier is formed through two processes. It's called accumulation and ablation. I know that just hits you all so deeply spiritually, right? But accumulation is how you get the ice there. And so there's, there's uh, snow and ice storms and all of that begins to happen and it just snows. And, uh, you know, obviously they don't have glaciers um, in the Caribbean. Because it has to be cold. And so snow builds up over centuries and centuries and centuries. But there's also within every glacier what they call ablation, which we don't talk about much. You understand accumulation a lot. The only time many of you talk about ablation is what some of you need under your heart, right? It's a heart ablation. But what it means in this world is that there is a constant erosion. There's a melting. The winds, the forces of the water, the friction, it's constantly working against what is developing in the glacier. And the only way a glacier over centuries of time actually builds into the massive structure it is, is that the accumulation is much greater than the ablation. What's accumulating is much greater than what's being eroded away. And in our spiritual life, the same has to be true. That as we develop and as we grow and as we work and as we develop these habits in our lives, our goal, the end process is we want to make sure that the accumulation of who God wants us to be, the accumulation of our presence uh, with God in moments, that the accumulation of the time we spend in His Word, that the accumulation of what is happening in our lives, that the accumulation is greater than the erosion or the ablation that happens from the pressures of the world, from our families, from our jobs, from the stuff we're given witness to out in the world. We want to make sure that we get more than is taken away. And the problem is that when it comes to the spiritual life, just like a glacier, it takes a long time to develop. And we live in a world that wants to happen immediately. Now here's what happens. Over time, over time, these things develop and eventually a crack will develop down one of these ridges and water will begin to seep in. And as the water seeps in more and more and more and more, eventually a part of it will break off from the main structure and become an iceberg. We actually have some video of this happening. And so a huge glacier, we can't get the size of this, and icebergs are just breaking off. I saw the other day that an iceberg the size of the island of New York City, like the islands of New York, broke off from a glacier out in the Atlantic Ocean. And the idea is these icebergs are always a portion of that original glacier. 
You know, what we want to develop in our lives is that we, as a part of the glacier, of the structure, of the steadfastness of our God, who is the glacier, that we are a broken off piece of what he wants us to become. And here's the problem. I mentioned that it happens over time. We live in the most impatient age that has ever existed. And impatience is the nemesis of habit. Now, we live in a nanosecond world where at this moment, I could find out just about anything in the world you wanted me to find out with my phone that's sitting right here. If we wanted to check to see what time the Super Bowl kicked off tonight, we don't have to wait till we get home and get a paper out. I can Google it and it's here in a moment. If we want to see how far is it from here to Los Angeles, California, you don't have to get Rand McNally out. You don't have to use calculations in your brain. You don't have to find that chart at the back that tells you Nashville to Dallas and Dallas to L.A. You just Google it. I've talked about this before, but do you remember when you used to have actual arguments where you couldn't come to an answer on who was right? I'm not saying who thought they were right, because both people did. I'm talking about like an actual argument where you could not determine who was right because you did not have the information available to you to find. Those last about 30 seconds anymore. Well, we'll just find out who's right. And if the person that finds out is wrong, they were like, well, I, I, it, it's not. It's, this, the Google's not telling me the right thing here. I don't have the right answer. We live in a world... That everything is instantaneous. You think about how we consume media. Now, maybe some of you aren't on this kind of new wave of consuming media. But I don't know if you've seen this or not. But the average person under 30 no longer watches television through television. Do you remember? Most of you in this room will. I'll talk to some people in the the next service that won't. Do you remember when, if you wanted to watch a television show on television, you had to be sitting in front of your TV at a certain time, on a certain day, or you missed it? And if you got up to get yourself a sandwich during a commercial and it was shorter than expected, you missed part of the program? How many of you remember those days, right? Do you remember when... If you wanted to change the channel to one of the other three options you had, you had to get up. How ridiculous is that? You had to get up out of your seat. You talk about the need for resurrection power. When you were in your lazy boy and you wanted to change the channel, you had to get up and walk four to twelve feet. Now, you couldn't sit close to the TV. You know why? It ruined your eyes. That's right. You can't sit too close to the TV. It ruined your eyes. You had to walk four to twelve feet and actually change the channels. Can you believe we made it? I mean, the things we had to go through. And if you happen to be a ten-year-old son in the house, you were the remote control wherever you might be. Now, some of you were like, I never had to do that. I did. La! What, 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 Dad, what, what's going on? What do you need? Hey, can you turn that to five for me? I think there's something on there I want to watch. The only way you knew what was on was you had to get something at the grocery store every week. TV guy. Plan out your week, right? I mean, you could look in the morning paper, but you didn't know what was coming the next two or three days. Today, I sit there and I think, which one I want to use to control my TV, my phone or the remote? And if it's sitting like half a foot away, I'm like, I just don't feel like I need to get up and go get that. 
Our world is constantly changing. I mean, you know this, you've heard this, that in this phone right here is more computing capability than the amount that sent the first man to the moon by a lot. And within 10 years, this thing will be completely obsolete. It'll be less than that for this. This is two and a half years old. I mean, I'm surprised it's even still turning on anymore. Everything changes so quickly. I mean, think about our sports teams. I mean, I remember growing up in a time when Tom Landry was the only coach the Dallas Cowboys had ever known. They've had about 12 in the time that it took him to do his career. I used to dislike a lot. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan this year. I'm going to be rooting hard for a guy that I wanted to strike out every time he was at the plate last year. He played for the Chicago Cubs. This year he's our leadoff hitter, Go Dexter Fowler. Didn't like him at all last year. He's worst. College basketball. I never know who's playing for what team or what their names are or where they came from. Right? And some of you remember when life seemed to be more stable. You're like, this is my favorite sermon I've ever heard, Pastor. This nostalgia. But the truth is, if we're going to think long term about our spiritual growth, we have to be people that think glacially. Long term accumulation. And the problem with many of our spiritual lives is we are just as attention deficit disorder prone, just as instantaneous culture prone, just as change prone as we are in the rest of our lives. And so we don't have near enough accumulation and we've got way too much erosion. In fact, for a lot of Christians today, and this is research study out there, this is showing more and more every year. For a lot of Christians today, those that go to church, which by the way, the average church attendance of a single Christian is down significantly from where it was 10 years ago. People that consider themselves to be Christian, God-honoring, people that want to go to church, now go to church about three times a month when it used to be about two times a week on average. And so for people that call themselves Christians that are trying to follow Jesus, what we discover is that their whole amount of accumulation is in that hour and a half to two hours that they are on the campus of a church building on a Sunday morning. And we ought to be a part of that. You ought to be a part of what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, or at least somewhere. You've got to be somewhere. If this is not the place God's called you to be, then be where God's called you to be. But you need to be somewhere accumulating, being in fellowship, talking to people, hearing the Word of God, singing praises to God. But if this is the only accumulation you have in a week, there is way too much erosion that happens once you leave this place. I mean, some of you will make it to the parking lot before somebody calls you. Or a message comes to your phone. And the erosion begins. Some of you won't make it to the parking lot. You're sitting in the service right now and you'll get a text. And you'll try to act like you're not looking at it. And you'll put it down there to the side and kind of glance down. Because we've got to know right now. Isn't it crazy that even the church hour is not an hour anymore? Distraction free. Now, I, I'm not saying this to you. It's for me. My, I have an Apple Watch on that connects to my phone. So even a lot of times I leave my phone back there. But my watch will buzz my arm. Something's going on. Hey, take notice. You got to know right now. Got to know right now. And in this kind of world, we have to, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we're going to have to think glacially. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. I know I got you in Hebrews 12. We'll get there, I promise. 
He says that in this kind of mindset, in this kind of world, this is a command to us from Paul. This is in the 1 Corinthians 15. If you're familiar with your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 is a lengthy passage defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is one of the three or four passages that gets preached most on Easter Sunday because it's the one where Paul says, if Christ is not raised, then what we're doing in vain. If Christ is not raised, we are to be pitied among all men. If Christ is not raised, then nothing can be true about what we've described. And he gets to the end of that and he says and proves to the case that Christ is raised. It is vital, is it important? He is risen. And then he says, therefore, because of his resurrection, because he is who he says he is, because of the faith and the power that comes into our life through that, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Stand firm. Immovable. Always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable. Be the glacier in a world that is filled with gigabytes and nanoseconds. Be the one that when it seems like the world is crashing around you, you are going to stand firm. Be the one that is more interested in the accumulation of your life than the ablation of what's wearing it away. Be the ones that are going to be immovable in your faith, immovable in your commitment, immovable in your habits, that you're going to be constantly doing what God has called you to do over and over and over again. And again, I don't think we understand how counterculture it is to think long term and not just about what today and tomorrow is going to bring one of the ways that i thought about this and y'all know i don't get political very much and i'm not here to take sides or do any of that but i just thought it was interesting about something that wasn't discussed very much in this campaign y'all realize y'all realize we elected a president did y'all know that that kind of been in the news a little bit and i'm not here whether which side you're on or who won or lost or any of that okay i don't want to start facebook wall discussion here But one of the issues that used to be talked about all the time, that wasn't talked about much at all in this election, was this number. Anybody know what this number is? It's the national debt, right? 19 trillion. Now, by the way, this is not accurate because I took this number at... Um, about 7.30 this morning, and these numbers are going so fast, you have to pause, take a picture and pause the screen to get them. Or if you want to bring it down to much more manageable, if you think, okay, well, how many people, how much is that per person? This is what it is per person in the United States. What you owe, that's what you owe. Or, to bring it down even more, because not everybody, I mean, like, that's what I owe, that's what, go back to the other number, Steve, before I freak people out too much. All right, there we go. That's not just what I owe. That's what Ava owes. Right? That's what Maddie and Luke and Eli owes. That's every person. This is how much each taxpayer owes. Now you can go there to the one that scares us all. And here's what's interesting to me, okay? I'm not here to, like I said, I'm not here to talk politics so much to say this. It's not an issue because people don't feel it's an immediate threat or something they can solve right now. And so we just... Push it off. Because so what? What happens in 20 years? So what? What happens in 30 years? Now, I know I spoke to the very conservative side of a lot of you here. And so let me speak to those that are not as conservative and get the, I got the, the not as conservative mad at me. Let me get the conservatives mad at me for a minute. Or think about this issue. If they were able to prove, I'm not saying they have, I'm not saying any, I'm just saying if they were able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that global warming is real and 30 years from now, this planet is uninhabitable. 
If they could prove that. And some of you are like, I have, I, if they could prove that. Do you think people would really care about it? Because some of you in this room would go, what, 30, 40 years? I'll... Like even me, 40 years. I'm 41. Uh, maybe I'll be here. But probably not. You ever get into a church level? You know why churches begin to shrivel up and die sometimes? It's because the people that built the church no longer care about the next generation. And all they care about is sustaining the church till they're done. We don't think long term. And when it comes to our lives, we have to think long term. Paul says, stand firm, stand fast. Hebrews chapter 12. This is not going to be on the screen, so if you've got your Bible open to it, or if you can find it on your phone in a couple of seconds, nanoseconds, you can do that. Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It was one of the first passages I ever preached through. I've preached it um, many, many times, but I thought there's no one, no passage more appropriate for today. So here's the question. How do we sustain a gigabyte, in a gigabyte world, how do we sustain a glacial mindset? Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, therefore. Now, it, I've told you this many times. Some of you got this now over nine and a half years. Anytime there's a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask the question, what is it? Therefore, Right? And so if it says therefore, then we have to say what came before. And what came before in chapter 11 is this understanding that what is happening in life is that we are to be people of faith. Then they start to list the people one after another who are part of this hall of fame of faith. And they tell about the miraculous works that happened from God because they were faithful in their life. And it tells us a couple of times in there, they didn't see the promise, they didn't get it all, but they lived with dedication to it. In fact, verse 39, just before this, just before chapter 12, verse 1 and 1139, it says, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so they won't be paid perfect without us. He says, listen, they were giving their lives. They were that glacier that was building, that iceberg that was standing out, that were constantly giving and looking towards the future because they knew God's plan was best. And he says in verse chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, because of that, because of these people, since we are surrounded by such a large cloud of witnesses, because of those people, because of their faith, because of their testimony, because of their example, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and every hindrance that we have. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Five things real quickly. We're going to move these quickly, I promise. That you can do to make sure you build a lifestyle that is habitually seeking to be that glacier with more accumulation than ablation. 
First of all, you need to visualize your spiritual goals. Now, I know that sounds new agey. I know that sounds sports psychologist. But I want you to see it here in the text. Chapter 12, it says there that Jesus, for the joy that lay before him. For the joy that lay before him. That Jesus, it tells us, the way he endured the cross, the way that he scorned its shame, the way that he endured what was happening in his life, is that he knew what the end goal was. He knew where he was going. He knew what was to come. He knew that God was going to take care of him. He knew that God was going to put him at the right hand. He knew that he would be glorified. He knew that you would be saved. He knew that because of what was going to happen, he could endure it because of the goal he had in mind. And for you and for me, we have to have an end in mind when's the last time you established spiritual goals like say by between now and summer what do you want to see happen spiritually in your life between now and the end of the year you got to think in stages so what's between now and the summer what's between now and the end of the year for some of you i gave you a spiritual goal as we kind of work together to try to memorize a piece a chapter of scripture that lasts from now till easter we're asking you to do that what's your spiritual goal to easter but then you got to think bigger. What, what's the spiritual goal for the next stage of my life? If you're a young family, like, you probably already thought about, you know, when the kids get this age, we need to think about moving into this kind of house. Or when we have another child, we need to do that. And we need to prepare for a career change. Or maybe you're at that place where you're working, but you know retirement's on the end. And you've planned, and you've got a retirement guy that's helping you get it all planned together. And you're thinking through that, and shifting, and kids are moving out of the house, and you're going to downsize. And you've got all that plan kind of happening. What's the plan spiritually for your next stage of life? And then ultimately, what's your spiritual goal when... Your time here is done. I mean, we don't know when that is. It may happen before your next stage. Some of you say, that is my next stage. What are you talking about? I was reminded this week of the uncertainty of even that moment uh, by two deaths that happened. One that many of you are very familiar with was Elizabeth Lundy who passed away this past week. In her 90s, long life. Lots of service to this church, lots of service to this community. This past week, uh, we had a guy from First Hendersonville um, that I went to union with and that I was part of a disciple now with come and um, was just talking to me, visit. We hadn't visited in a long time, but he lives in Hendersonville. We saw each other out and I was like, man, we ought to get together. He came by, was talking to me here at the church. And he looked at me and he said, hey man, do you remember Chris Taylor? And I was like, yeah, I remember. I know Chris Taylor. Like, what do you union with? Yeah, I know Chris Taylor. We're, Chris and I are in the same fraternity. Yeah, I know Chris. He said, man, do you know he died today? 42. Discovered he had cancer last year. He was a teacher at Hendersonville High School. I didn't know Chris lived in this area. But we don't know when that day's coming. I mean, any one of us in this room, and I don't want this to be scare tactic, but the truth is, any of us in this room could go to the doctor this week, have something happen, and be told, we got a few weeks. What's your spiritual goals? Is it to know God's word? And you said, man, I'm so glad you challenged me to memorize it. Because I want to know God's word. Not just two or three verses. Not just Psalm 23. Not just John 3.16. I want to know God's word. Maybe it's, I want, to, I want to be somebody that is a prayer warrior. That is constantly praying about what God is doing around the world. And in the lives of the people in our church. And in the lives of the people in our community. Not just listing off the things that they physically need. But seeing God move in spiritual ways. Saying, some of you say, man, I want to be known as a generous person. Not so people will say, man, look. 
look how much he gave, but that I might empower the kingdom of God to do and to see what God is going to do through that. And I want to be generous with my time. I want to be generous with what God's called me to do. And some of you are like, man, I just want to leave a legacy of faith for my family. Man, what I'd love to do is that when I get to that point in my life where the funeral, where the death is the next stage for me, then I can look down and see children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that if even if they're not living at that moment for the glory of Jesus Christ, that they know that's what I lived for and they understand what that means and that I've left for them a legacy of faith. Some of you say, man, I just want to be an encourager. I want to be somebody that encourages people around me, that it helps them in difficult times. Some people say, man, I want to impact globally what God is doing in missions and the 1040 window and places where people don't have a Bible. I saw a statistic this week that said 2.5 billion people do not have a copy of a single word of the Holy Bible in their language in our world today. I want to be part of that. So you're like, man, I want to be somebody that can articulate my faith. What's the goal? What's the long-term goal for your life? Because if you don't know the goal, it'll never happen. Let's just say, I mentioned Los Angeles. And so, let's just say I decided that we wanted to go to Los Angeles. Take a road trip. There was there's a, a NAM conference happening out there this week. Uh, they, they invited me to go. We couldn't go. Uh, I'd love to have been there. But let's just say I, I wanted to go. Well, uh, what am I going to do? How am I going to, if I get in my car, how am I going to know where to go? First of all, I got to know where I'm going, right? And when I know where I'm going, I've got this little thing on my phone that I can put in that I want to drive to Santa Monica Church in Los Angeles. And here's the amazing thing. It's got my directions right there. And it tells me the first thing i got to do is turn left on the main street. Now, it's going to be a little ways, right? It's going to be a little ways before we get there, but it tells me the first thing i got to do. It's only going to take me one day and four hours. Now, there's an alternate route that's two hours shorter. I think I'll stay on the faster route. And that's a long destination, but it tells me the first thing i got to do is turn left. Turn left on Dickerson Pike. And when I know that goal in mind, I can begin to take the steps that I need to take. Jesus knew the goal. And he needed to take the steps he needed to take. Now, some of you grew up in a different era. Do you remember how you used to find out where you were going? You got Rand out, right? Rand McNally. And some, you remember some of those states had an extra flap you had to turn over? Tennessee was one of those states. Just so long. And you would literally map your course over all the roads and you would follow that direction. When it comes to spiritual goals and we know our goal, we begin to move towards it. Secondly, we need to remember that our habits are built around the faithfulness of God. Again, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the same, and sat down at the hand of the Father of God on the throne of God. He knew God was going to do what God said he was going to do. He knew that God would not leave him nor abandon him. He knew God would save the world through him. He knew God would raise him from the dead. He never had that moment. He centered his faith, his habits, around the faithfulness of God. It's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon your goodness or your strength or your fortitude. It's dependent upon the faithfulness of God. 
I thought about it this week because we've been reading through, those of you that have been there, you've been reading through uh, the uh, the Bible and we're, we are into Leviticus. We're in the midst of Leviticus right there, right? But reading through those stories, there's that story and I've talked about it because every time I read it, it just gets me. And there's this part over in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about how he depended upon the faithfulness of God. Every time I read the story of Abraham, I am blown away by God's faithfulness to him and his trust in God. And there's that scene where he has been living for God, living with God. He has seen the promise fulfilled in his son. And God says to him, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. I just can't imagine being able to do that. And yet Abraham walks up the mountain. He's got the wood. His son's got the wood. His son says, where is it? What are we going to do? Where's the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide. And that tells us in Hebrews... That he was so confident in the faithfulness of God and God's promise. Because he knew God's promise was that he would build a nation. He was so confident in God's promise. He says, it tells us in Hebrews, that Abraham thought that if he did kill his son, that God would raise him from the dead. We put our lives centered around the faithfulness of God. And we say, whatever else the world offers, it's not as good as that. Thirdly, we celebrate the walk. That's a baseball term. I know that walk there can be too than it is. We're celebrating just the process of moving. But one of the things that's happened, I talked about my love of baseball. One of the things that's happened in recent years is they've come to value the walk more and more every year. You all know what a walk is, right? You don't even hit the ball. You just sit there and watch the pitcher throw four balls that weren't very good. And then you get first base. And for a long time it was considered, I don't want to walk. I don't want to walk. I want to get a hit. I want to hit a home run. I want to hit a triple. But the research is showing one of the most valuable plays in baseball is a walk. Puts people on base. You don't have to spend any capital. If you hit the ball, there's like a 70% chance it's going to get caught. When you walk, there's a 0% chance you're not going to get to first base. I mean, you are going to. I didn't say that right. There's a 100% chance you'll get to first base. 0% chance you won't. Okay, didn't clear that up at all. That's all right. When it comes to our spiritual life, we celebrate the smallest victories. You had not read your Bible in a month and you read it for two days straight. Go have some cheesy bread. Right? Celebrate. Don't celebrate, I read my Bible a hundred days in a row. Celebrate, I read it today. And then when you mess up, and you will, write off your losses. Forget them. It's going to be hard to forget them, but just say, I'm writing it off. If you had a business that tanked and it came to the point that you can no longer support it, what would you do? You would write off your losses. And nobody wants to do that, but you have to do it. It tells us here in Scripture, we are to lay aside any hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. We are to lay it aside, let it go, say, I'm done with it. And focus back on Jesus. And that's the last thing, get back on the bike. When I'm training my kids to ride their bicycle, when they fall, I don't say, well, that was our one shot. We don't have to worry about it again. Or when we're practicing basketball and Eli misses a free throw, I don't say, well, just give up the game. You missed. What do I tell him? Shoot it again. Yesterday, uh, in basketball game, Luke took his first shot of the season. And he missed it. And after the game, I was so proud of his coach. Because after the game, the coach said, man, you shot the ball. And he goes, I missed it. He goes, but you're not going to make any that you don't shoot. 
Encouraging to him. Get back on the bike. And just keep going. I'm going to end with this. I read the story this week of a guy. Here's, we got a picture of this guy. This guy's name is Cliff Young. And I love the story of Cliff Young, especially for this series and for this message. Cliff Young was a, a farmer, uh, an Australian potato farmer who also kept sheep. And Cliff Young, when he was 61 years old, got asked to enter into an inaugural race because they were looking for people that would compete. And it was a race that was 544 miles long from Westfield and Sydney to Melbourne. 544 miles. And they asked him, they said, well, we need some people to participate. Do you want to do this? And it's what uh, has become a sport known as ultra marathoning. And this was in the inaugural days. This is in the 80s of it happening. And so Cliff agreed to go. And so they get to the start line. And you got all these trained ultra marathoners. Cliff had not trained a day for it. And I, I forgot to add this. Cliff was 61 years old. And so they say go. They don't really shoot a gun because the race is supposed to last seven days. Not really concerned if you, you know, get a head start there by a step. And so all the other guys start their jog out, and Cliff just starts waddling like this. And I'm like, what in the world is that guy doing back there? And he's waddling. Everybody takes off, they run ahead of him, they get like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, hour on the first day, hour and a half ahead of him. And that night, time came for them to all get to the spot and lay down and take a, take a rest, so they get up and do it again the next morning. And Cliff had not read the rules or the regulations and did not know that was allowed or thought it should be. And he just kept shuffling. And so while they were asleep on the side of the road, Cliff just shuffled on by them. And Cliff did not sleep till he finished the race. 544 miles. He shuffled in five days, 15 hours, and four minutes, which was two days faster than the record for that amount. And they asked him afterwards, what are you doing? And he said, well, I've chased sheep for three days at a time without sleeping. I figured I ought to just chase the race that way. Cliff Young said he imagined out there on the tra- on the road, that he was chasing sheep and running from a storm. And when you're chasing sheep and running from a storm, you don't stop. Man, would we be people that would just shuffle along and never stop? Let's pray together.